Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast, hosted by Renew. Happy New Year. We hope you had a great time celebrating with friends and family, and we're able to get a little bit of extra rest over this holiday weekend. Rod Dreher is the author of Live Not By Lies, a New York Times bestseller. So it's really great that he was able to come and speak and share on this important topic in our culture today. Well, we really hope that you like this shorter episode. We think this excerpt is important stuff. Let's go ahead and check this out and make sure to join us again on Thursday. We're going to continue to have another episode then. Let's define our terms. What is totalitarianism? Well, in general, an authoritarian society is one in which political power is monopolized by a single party or politician. A totalitarian society is an authoritarian society in which every aspect of life is politicized. Mussolini, the Italian fascist leader, he was the one who invented the term totalitarianism. He said it means that there is nothing outside the state. A totalitarian society, I'm sorry, in an authoritarian society, the ruling powers, they only want your obedience. But in a totalitarian society, the ruling powers want your soul. We are living through the beginning of something I call soft totalitarianism. As I mentioned earlier, it is soft in part not because it is enforced by brutal policing and harsh punishment of dissidents. It's not, at least not yet, but through gentler, less coercive methods. It is also soft in part because this ideology claims to be motivated by compassion for victims. This ideology is totalitarian because it tolerates no dissent, because it manipulates language to define, redefine reality, and because it is constantly expanding into new areas of life. For example, last summer, Blue's Clues, a popular program for pre-kindergarten children. My kids are older now, but they grew up on Blue's Clues. Well, it's gotten very woke. And last summer, they had an animated segment in which a cartoon drag queen sang a marching song about rainbow families going to the pride parade. In this uh, segment, which you can see online, they had, a, talking about the trans family, they had a cartoon beaver who had scars on her chest from where her breasts were removed. This is for pre-kindergarten children. This is insane. But this is where we're going. There's no aspect of life that the woke uh, trans activists can't find a way to expand their ideology in. Now, a unique aspect of soft totalitarianism is that, to this point, it does not primarily come from the state. Rather, it has conquered nearly every major institution in American life. It started in universities, it spread to the news and entertainment media, and it's now in control of big business, of law, medicine, sports, NGOs, and even many churches. Wokeness has parasitically taken over liberalism from within. We still have the appearance of a liberal democratic society, but we grow less free and less democratic by the day. All of these things, especially the loneliness, are strongly present in our Western liberal democracies today. There was a study done a couple of years ago uh, of the generations to find out which generation in American life is the loneliest. You would think that the older generation would be the one that's the loneliest. Not true. The youngest generation, Generation Z, 70, 70% of them report being lonely. Now, this is the most connected generation in American history to the social network, but there is no substitution for face-to-face contact. These people, we should not be surprised that the younger people are the ones who are most given over to wokeness, the ones who 
Uh, as a political uh, scientist Eric Kaufman has found, the ones who have the least commitment to liberal ideals of free speech, freedom of religion, and other things that have been bedrock in American life until now. Totalitarian ideologies appeal to people who are lonely, who are afraid, and who are searching for meaning, purpose, and solidarity. They serve as a political pseudo-religion for people who no longer believe in God. In fact, Christians have to understand that when we're faced wokeness, we are facing not a hostile political ideology, but at its core, a hostile false religion. For example, did you know that in many school districts around the United States, there are policies in place that instruct teachers and school staff not to tell parents if their child presents as transgender at school? A federal judge in Maryland uh, last month upheld such a policy. Did you know that in some states, like Ohio, which is not California and is not New York, parents do not have the right to look at the medical records of their children after the age of 12, after the kids become 12 or older, without the kids' consent? This is all to protect transgender kids. And did you know that in states like Oregon, the state can seize minor children after they become a certain age, I believe it's 15, and inject them with cross-sex hormones if the kid requests it? This is all true. This is not the fake news. Where are the mama bears and the papa bears? Why are we allowing this to happen to our kids? In the Soviet Union, the state asserted the right to put itself between parents and their children in order to raise good communist kids. Well, it's happening right here in America, but it's even worse. As evil as the Soviet Union was, they never tried to sexually mutilate children in the name of progress. A friend of mine is a senior administrator at one of these colleges, and he helped lead a group of his colleagues around to speak to influential pastors to rally support. He told me that they went to Orange County, which is home to a number of big conservative evangelical megachurches. They spoke to pastors in Orange County about the crisis. Well, what did they hear? Over and over they heard, we support you, but we're not going to say anything. All of these pastors were terrified of being called bigots. Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings, and afterwards, our buildings shape us. As a ministry leader, you know your space matters, and you want it to be engaging and effective, but maybe you're not really sure how to make that happen. I'm Abby Barris, designer and ministry veteran, and I'd love to help you figure that out. You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more about how to begin shaping your spaces for intentional discipleship. My friends said that if it had not been for the brave black Pentecostal pastors of South Central Los Angeles and the Hispanic Catholic Archbishop there, they would not have been able to save their colleges. Middle-class white Christians, people like me, stayed silent. I hear uh, every now and then I'll hear from a Christian who said, I'm so fed up with my church, I'm just going to sit at home and read my Bible on Sunday morning. We can't be those people. Because that's where the government, that's where the regime wants us, isolated, sitting at home. The world is going to hate us and does hate us now, not because we're evangelicals or orthodox or whatever. They hate us because we're Christians. And we even find a lot of this hate within our own churches from people who want us to compromise with the world, to be winsome so we can win more believers. The world will only accept us if we sell out to its values. I'm here to tell you in the... and to bring you the message from these, these brave dissidents that we cannot sell out. 
we will be held accountable by our Lord at our judgment for how we responded to this crisis. I hope the words I've said today and the words uh, of the dissidents I offer you can inspire you where you are to get active and start building these local small groups and these networks of groups of solidarity for the difficult road ahead. I was reminded of a conversation I had last summer with a man in Slovenia, little town, a little country, conservative country in Central Europe. He was my interpreter when I was there to give a presentation about Live Not By Lives in their capital. And he said, my wife and I are having so much trouble with our 12-year-old daughter. I'm like, what's wrong? He said, she won't eat, she won't go to school, she's deeply depressed. The problem is when she turned 11, we bought her a smartphone. Everybody else has one. We gave this to her. She made a connection with some te- older teenagers in Oregon who got into her head with gender ideology and told her, you have to decide what your gender is. You better decide before your body decides for you. And the girl was paralyzed. This family, the mom and dad, they didn't think it could happen to them in Slovenia. But with the Internet, there are no borders. In Poland, when I was in Poland doing uh, research for this book, I kept hearing from young Catholics in their 20s, who are still believers, still going to church, they said, our country is going to go the way of Ireland in 10 years. And in Ireland, if you know, the faith completely collapsed. It's now one of the most secular countries in Europe. I found that so hard to believe about Poland. I grew up in the era, as you did, of Pope John Paul II. Poland was this fortress of faith in in Europe. That's old. That's not true anymore. Um, What's happening, as the more people I talk to about it, I began, came to realize that it's the internet and social media that's catechizing these kids. I talked to a high school teacher who said, Rod, there is no institution in this very conservative country, not the church, not the state, not the family, no institution that is more powerful at shaping the hearts and minds of the young than the internet. This is simply a reality. There are no borders anymore. And, uh, and wherever there is the internet and a smartphone, you have the world. And I I just want to uh, applaud what you've said. And I keep trying to urge parents to wake up. Yeah. You know, we. I just feel like ringing the alarm bells because I think think that so many people don't understand what's actually happening and the the insidious, far-reaching influence it's having. And uh, as church leaders, I'm so glad you all are here online because uh, we have an opportunity. One of the things that happens to me, Rod... Uh, over the years is uh, through leadingdiscipleship.org is I kind of go through phases where I, I'm praying and asking God to lead me. Uh, over the last few years, it was disciple-making movements, and uh, I still think that's important, and I care about that. But God's got a hold of me on this family discipleship thing. You know that uh, around 80% of all people who ever come to faith in Christ do so by the time they're 14 years of age. Think about that. It's a study over the last 100 years. So if we neglect our own families, I mean, right now our families are already in trouble. But if we're neglecting them further, it is the most catastrophic thing. Uh, the Bendas uh, told their kids, they had five kids, told them what was evil about the world they were in. They didn't try to sugarcoat anything because they knew they had to build these kids to be faithful Christians and, and brave Christians. They involved their kids in their work against the government. But they also knew that it wasn't going to be enough to tell them what was bad. They also had to give them a deep vision for the good. 
So mm. Camilla, the mother, read to her kids for three hours every day, even though she was a college professor, even though for four years of their childhood, their father was in prison for his dissident activities. I asked her in her apartment, she's quite old now, I said, what did you read to him, Camilla? She said, well, I read to them the myths, the classic literature of Western culture, and I read a lot of Tolkien. I said, Tolkien? Why Tolkien? She looked at me in the eye and said, because we knew that Mordor was real. And I realized the genius of what this woman had done. She knew that those little children couldn't understand communism and the Cold War, all these concepts that make sense to adults, but they could understand this crusade to fight Sauron and to fight the orcs. And they understood that the Fellowship of the Ring was a fictional version of what they saw in their own mother and father's house when the dissidents would come together to meet. And so what she did was, from a young age, fill these children's moral imaginations with the good, the true, and the beautiful, with virtue. And that gave these kids a strong basis to resist. Even though this is one of the most atheist countries in the world, all five of her kids grew up to be faithful Christians, and they are raising faithful Christian families. It all started with a mother and a father yes. who cared and who formed Christian children and Christian disciples in the home.